0: 11. Filling the bones with rottenness, and eating away the flesh by gangrenous ulcers, until the patient dies, a horrible mass of putridity and corruption. 11. Sensuality. Sensuality is not love, but an unbridled desire which kills the soul. Sensuality will drive away the roses in the cheeks of womanhood, and undermine health and produce a brazen countenance that can be read by all men. The harlot may commit her sins in the dark, But her countenance reveals her character and her immorality is an open secret. 12. Sexual temperance. All excesses and absurdities of every kind should be carefully avoided. Many of the female disorders which often revenge themselves in the cessation of all sexual pleasure are largely due to the excessive practice of sexual indulgence. 13. Frequency. Some writers claim that intercourse should never occur except for the purpose of childbearing but such restraint is not natural and consequently not conducive to health. There are many conditions in which the health of the mother and offspring must be respected. It is now held that it is nearer a crime than a virtue to prostitute woman to the degradation of breeding animals by compelling her to bring into life more offspring than can be born healthy, or be properly cared for and educated. 14 in this work we shall attempt to specify no rule, but simply give advice as to the health and happiness of both man and wife. A man should not gratify his own desires at the expense of his wife's health, comfort or inclination. Many men no doubt harass their wives and force many burdens upon their slender constitutions. But it is a great sin and no true husband will demand unreasonable recognition. The wife when physically able, however, should bear with her husband, Man is naturally sensitive on this subject, and it takes but little to alienate his affections and bring discovery into the family. 15. The best writers lay down the rule for the government of the marriage bed, that sexual indulgence should only occur about once in a week or ten days, and this of course applies only to those who enjoy a fair degree of health but it is a hygienic and physiological fact that those who indulge only once a month receive a far greater degree of the intensity of enjoyment than those who indulge their passions more frequently. Much pleasure is lost by excesses where much might be gained by temperance giving rest to the organs for the accumulation of nervous force. How to Perpetuate the Honeymoon 1. Continue your courtship. Like causes produce like effects. 2. Neglect of your companion. Do not assume a right to neglect your companion more after marriage than you did before. 3. Secrets. Have no secrets that you keep from your companion. A third party is always disturbing. 4. Avoid the appearance of evil. In matrimonial matters it is often that the mere appearance contains all the evil. Love. As soon as it rises above calculation and becomes love, is exacting. It gives all, and demands all. 5. Once married. Never open your mind to any change. If you keep the door of your purpose closed, evil or even desirable changes cannot make headway without help. 6. Keep step in mental development. A tree that grows for 40 years may take all the sunlight from a tree that stops growing at 20. 7. Keep a lively interest in the business of the home. To that do not pull together are weaker than either alone. 8. Gate your expenses by your revenues. Love must eat. The sheriff often levies on Cupid long before he takes away the old furniture. 9. Start from where your parents started rather than from where they now are. Hollow and showy boarding often furnishes the too strong temptation, while the quietness of a humble home would cement the hearts beyond risk. 10. Avoid debt. Spend your own money, but earn it first. Then it will not be necessary to blame anyone for spending other people's. 11. Do not both get angry at the same time. Remember, it takes two to quarrel. 12. Do not allow yourself ever to come to an open rupture. Things and said need less repentance. 13. Study to conform your tastes and habits to the tastes and habits of your companion. If to walk together, they must agree. How to be a good wife. 1. Reverence your husband. He sustains by God's order a position of dignity as head of a family, head of the woman. Any breaking down of this order indicates a mistake in the union or a digression from duty. 2. Love him. A wife loves as naturally as the sun shines. Love is your best weapon. You conquered him with that in the first place. You can reconquer by the same means. 3. Do not conceal your love from him. If he is crowded with care, and too busy to seem to heed your love, you need to give all the greater attention to securing his knowledge of your love. If you intermit he will settle down into a hard, cold life with increased rapidity your example will keep the light on his conviction. The more he neglects the fire on the hearth, the more carefully must you feed and guard it. It must not be allowed to go out. Once out you must sit ever in darkness and in the cold. 4. Cultivate the modesty and delicacy of your youth. The relations and familiarity of wedded life may seem to tone down the sensitive and retiring instincts of girlhood, but nothing can compensate for the loss of these. However, Much men may admire the public performance of gifted women. They do not desire that boldness and dash in a wife. The holy blush of a maiden's modesty is more powerful in hallowing and governing a home than the heaviest armament that ever a warrior bore. 5. Cultivate personal attractiveness. This means the storing of your mind with a knowledge of passing events, and with a good idea of the world's general advance. If you read nothing, and make no effort to make yourself attractive, you will soon sink down into a dull hack of stupidity. If your husband never hears from you any words of wisdom, or of common information, he will soon hear nothing from you. Dress and gossip soon wear out, if your memory is weak, so that it hardly seems worthwhile to read. That is additional reason for reading. 6. Cultivate physical attractiveness. When you were encouraging the attentions of him whom you now call husband, You did not neglect any item of dress or appearance that could help you. Your hair was always in perfect training. You never greeted him with a ragged or untidy dress or soiled hands. It is true that your market is made, but you cannot afford to have it broken. Cleanliness and good taste will attract now as they did formerly. Keep yourself at your best. Make the most of physical endowments. Neatness and order break the power of poverty. 7. Study your husband's character. He has his peculiarities. He has no right to many of them, and you need to know them, thus you can avoid many hours of friction. The good pilot steers around the sunken rocks that lie in the channel. The engineer may remove them, not the pilot. You are more pilot than engineer. Consult his tastes. It is more important to your home that you should please him than anybody else. 8. Practice Economy. Many families are cast out of peace into grumbling and discord by being compelled to fight against poverty, when there are no great distresses to be endured or accounted for. Complaint and fault-finding are not so often evoked. Keep your husband free from the annoyance of disappointed creditors, and he will be more apt to keep free from annoying you, to toil hard for bread, to fight the wolf from the door, to resist impatient creditors, to struggle against complaining pride at home is too much to ask of one man, a crust that is your own is a feast, while a feast that is purloined from unwilling creditors if a famine, how to be a good husband, one, show your love, all life manifests itself, as certainly as a live tree will put forth leaves in the spring, so certainly will a living love show itself, many a noble man toils early and late to earn bread and position for his wife, he hesitates at no weariness for her sake, He justly thinks that such industry and providence give a better expression of his love than he could by caressing her and letting the grocery bills go unpaid. He fills the cellar and pantry. He drives and pushes his business. He never dreams that he is actually starving his wife to death. He may soon have a woman left to superintend his home, but his wife is dying. She must be kept alive by the same process that called her into being. Recall and repeat the little attentions and delicate compliments that once made you so agreeable, and that fanned her love into a consuming flame. It is not beneath the dignity of the skillful physician to study all the little symptoms, and order all the little round of attentions that check the waste of strength and brace the staggering constitution. It is good work for a husband to cherish his wife, to consult with your wife. She is apt to be as right as you are, and frequently able to add much to your stock of wisdom. In any event she appreciates your attentions. 3. Study to keep her young. It can be done. It is not work, but worry, that wears. Keep a brave, true heart between her and all harm. 4. Help to bear her burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of love. Love seeks opportunities to do for the loved object. She has the constant care of your children. She is ordained by the Lord to stand guard over them. Not a disease can appear in the community without her taking the alarm. Not a disease can come over the threshold without her instantly springing into the mortal combat. If there is a deficiency anywhere it comes out of her pleasure. Her burdens are everywhere. Look for them. that you may lighten them. 5. Make yourself helpful by thoughtfulness. Remember to bring into the house your best smile and sunshine. It is good for you. And it cheers up the home. There is hardly a nook in the house that has not been carefully hunted through to drive out everything that might annoy you. The dinner which suits, or ought to suit you, has not come on the table of itself. It represents much thoughtfulness and work. You can do no more manly thing than find some way of expressing, in word or look, your appreciation of it. 6. Express your will, not by commands, but by suggestions. It is God's order that you should be the head of the family. You are clothed with authority. But this does not authorize you to be stern and harsh. As an officer in the army, your authority is the dignity of love. When it is not clothed in love it ceases to have the substance of authority. A simple suggestion that may embody a wish, an opinion or an argument, becomes one who reigns over such a kingdom as yours. 7. Seek to refine your nature. It is no slander to say that many men have wives much more refined than themselves. This is natural in the inequalities of life. Other qualities may compensate for any defect here, but you need have no defect in refinement. Preserve the gentleness and refinement of your wife as a rich legacy for your children, and in so doing you will lift yourself to higher levels. 8. Be a gentleman as well as a husband. The signs and bronze and calluses of toil are no indications that you are not a gentleman. The soul of gentlemanliness is a kindly feeling toward others, that prompts one to secure their comfort. That is why the thoughtful peasant lover is always so gentlemanly, and in his love much above himself. 9. Stay at home. Habitual absence during the evenings is sure to bring sorrow. If your duty or business calls you you have the promise that you will be kept in all your ways. But if you go out to mingle with other society, and leave your wife at home alone, or with the children and servants, know that there is no good in store for you. She has claims upon you that you cannot afford to allow to go to protest. Reverse the case. You sit down alone after having waited all day for your wife's return, and think of her as reveling in gay society, and see if you can keep out all the doubts as to what takes her away. If your home is not as attractive as you want it, you are a principal partner. Set yourself about the work of making it attractive. 10. Take your wife with you into society. Seclusion begets morbidness. She needs some of the life that comes from contact with society. She must see how other people appear and act. It often requires an exertion for her to go out of her home. But it is good for her and for you. She will bring back more sunshine. It is wise to rest sometimes. When the Arab stops for his dinner he unpacks his camel. Treat your wife with as much consideration. Cause of family troubles. 1. Much better to be alone. He who made man said it is not good for him to be alone, but it is much better to be alone than it is to be in some kinds of company. Many couples who felt unhappy when they were apart have been utterly miserable when together, and scores who have been ready to go through fire and water to get married have been willing to run the risk of fire and brimstone to get divorced. It is by no means certain that because persons are wretched before marriage they will be happy after it. The wretchedness of many homes and the prevalence of immorality and divorce is a sad commentary on the evils which result from unwise marriages. 2. Unavoidable evils. There are plenty of unavoidable evils in this world, and it is mournful to think of the multitudes who are preparing themselves for needless disappointments, and who yet have no fear, and are unwilling to be instructed, cautioned or warned, to them the experience of mature life is of little account compared with the wisdom of ardent and enthusiastic youth. 3. Matrimonial infelicity. One great cause of matrimonial infelicity is the hasty marriages of persons who have no adequate knowledge of each other's characters. Two strangers become acquainted, and are attracted to each other, and without taking half the trouble to investigate or inquire that a prudent man would take before buying a saddle horse. They are married. In a few weeks or months it is perhaps found that one of the parties was married already, or possibly that the man is drunken or vicious or the woman anything but what she should be, then begins the bitter part of the experience, shame, disgrace, scandal, separation, sin and divorce, all come as the natural results of a rash and foolish marriage, a little time spent in honest, candid, and careful preliminary inquiry and investigations would have saved the trouble, for, the climax, it has been said that a man is never utterly ruined until he has married a bad woman. So the climax of woman's miseries and sorrows may be said to come only when she is bound with that bond which should be her chiefest blessing and her highest joy, but which may prove her deepest sorrow and her bitterest curse. 5. The Folly of Follies. There are some lessons which people are very slow to learn, and yet which are based upon the simple principles of common sense. A young lady casts her eye upon a young man. She says, I mean to have that man. She plies her arts engages his affections, marries him, and secures for herself a life of sorrow and disappointment, ending perhaps in a broken-up home or an early grave. Any prudent, intelligent person of mature age, might have warned or cautioned her, but she sought no advice, and accepted no admonition. A young man may pursue a similar course with equally disastrous results. 6. Haphazard. Many marriages are undoubtedly arranged by what may be termed the accident of locality persons live near each other, become acquainted, and engage themselves to those whom they never would have selected as their companions in life if they had wider opportunities of acquaintance. Within the borders of their limited circle they make a selection which may be wise or may be unwise. They have no means of judging. They allow no one else to judge for them. The results are sometimes happy and sometimes unhappy in the extreme. It is well to act cautiously in doing what can be done but once. It is not a pleasant experience for a person to find out a mistake when it is too late to rectify it. 7. We all change. When two persons of opposite sex are often thrown together they are very naturally attracted to each other, and are liable to imbibe the opinion that they are better fitted for lifelong companionship than any other two persons in the world. This may be the case, or it may not be. There are a thousand chances against such a conclusion to one in favor of it. But even if at the present moment these two persons were fitted to be associated, no one can tell whether the case will be the same five or ten years hence. Men change, women change, they are not the same they were ten years ago, they are not the same they will be ten years hence. 8. The Safe Rule Do not be in a hurry, take your time and consider well before you allow your devotion to rule you. Study first your character, then study the character of her whom you desire to marry. Love works mysteriously, and if it will bear careful and cool investigation, it will no doubt thrive under adversity. When people marry they unite their destinies for the better or the worse. Marriage is a contract for life and will never bear a hasty conclusion. Never be in a hurry. Jealousy its cause and cure. Trifles. Light as air are to the jealous confirmation strong. As proofs of holy writ. Shakespeare. Nor jealousy was understood. The injured lover's health. Milton O oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy, it is the green-eyed monster which doth mop the meat it feeds on, Shakespeare, 1, definition, jealousy is an accidental passion, for which the faculty indeed is unborn, in its nobler form and in its nobler motives it arises from love, and in its lower form it arises from the deepest and darkest pin of Satan, 2, how developed, jealousy arises either from weakness which from a sense of its own want of lovable qualities is not convinced of being sure of its cause, or from distrust, which thinks the beloved person capable of infidelity, sometimes all these motives may act together. 3. Noblest Jealousy. The noblest jealousy, if the term noble is appropriate, is a sort of ambition or pride of the loving person who feels it is an insult that another one should assume it as possible to supplant his love or it is the highest degree of devotion which sees a declaration of its object in the foreign invasion, as it were, of his own altar. Jealousy is always a sign that a little more wisdom might adorn the individual without harm, for the lowest jealousy, the lowest species of jealousy is a sort of avarice of envy which, without being capable of love, at least wishes to possess the object of its jealousy alone by the one party assuming a sort of property right over the other. This jealousy, which might be called the Satanic, is generally to be found with old withered husbands, whom the devil has prompted to marry young women and who forthwith dream night and day of cuckold's horns. These Arguside keepers are no longer capable of any feeling that could be called love, they are rather as a rule heartless house tyrants, and are in constant dread that someone may admire or appreciate his unfortunate slave. 5. Want of lore. The general conclusion will be that jealousy is more the result of wrong conditions which cause uncongenial unions, and which through moral corruption artificially create distrust than a necessary accompaniment of love. 6. Result of poor opinion. Jealousy is a passion with which those are most afflicted who are the least worthy of love. An innocent maiden who enters marriage will not dream of getting jealous, but all her innocence cannot secure her against the jealousy of her husband if he has been a liberty. Those are wont to be the most jealous who have the consciousness that they themselves are most deserving of jealousy. Most men in consequence of their present education and corruption have so poor an opinion not only of the male, but even of the female sex, that they believe every woman at every moment capable of what they themselves have looked for among all and have found among the most unfortunate, the prostitutes. No libertine can believe in the purity of woman, it is contrary to nature. A liberty therefore cannot believe in the loyalty of a faithful wife. 7. When justifiable, there may be occasions where jealousy is justifiable. If a woman's confidence has been shaken in her husband, or a husband's confidence has been shaken in his wife by certain signs or conduct, which have no other meaning but that of infidelity, then there is just cause for jealousy. There must, however, be certain proof as evidence of the wife's or husband's immoral conduct. Imaginations or any foolish absurdities should have no consideration whatever, and let everyone have confidence until his or her faith has been shaken by the revelation of absolute facts. 8. Caution and advice. No couple should allow their associations to develop into an engagement and marriage if either one has any inclination to jealousy. It shows invariably a want of sufficient confidence, and that want of confidence, instead of being diminished after marriage, is liable to increase until by the aid of the imagination and wrong interpretation the home is made a hell and divorce a necessity. Let it be remembered. There can be no true love without perfect and absolute confidence. Jealousy is always the sign of weakness or madness. Avoid a jealous disposition, for it is an open acknowledgement of a lack of faith, the improvement of offspring. Why bring into the world idiots, fools, criminals and lunatics, one, the right way? when mankind will properly love and marry and then rightly generate, carry, nurse and educate their children, will they indeed and in truth carry out the holy and happy purpose of their Creator, see those miserable and depraved scapegoats of humanity, the demented simpletons, the half-crazy, and balanced multitudes which infest our earth, and fill our prisons with criminals and our poor houses with paupers, oh, the boundless capabilities and perfections of our godlike nature and, alas, its deformities, all is the result of the ignorance or indifference of parents, as long as children are the accidents of lust instead of the premeditated objects of love, so long will the offspring deteriorate and the world be cursed with deformities, monstrosities, unhumanities, and cranks, to each after its kind, like parents like children, in their own image beget they them, in what other can they, how can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit, How can animal propensities in parents generate other than depraved children, or moral purity beget beings other than as holy by nature as those at whose hands they received existence and constitution? 3. As are the parents, physically, mentally and morally when they stamp their own image and likeness upon progeny, so will be the constitution of that progeny. 4. Just as the twig is bent the trees inclined, yet the bramble cannot be bent to bear delicious peaches, nor the sycamore to bear grain. Education is something, but parentage is everything, because it, dies in the wool, and thereby exerts an influence on character almost infinitely more powerful than all other conditions put together. 5. Healthy and Beautiful Children, Thoughtless Mortal, Before you allow the first goings forth of love, learn what the parental conditions in you mean, and you will confer a great boon upon the prospective bone of your bone, and flesh of your flesh, if it is in your power to be the parent of beautiful. Healthy, moral and talented children instead of diseased and depraved. Is it not your imperious duty then, to impart to them that physical power, moral perfection, and intellectual capability, which shall ennoble their lives and make them good people and good citizens? Six. Pause and tremble. Prospective parents. Will you trifle with the dearest interests of your children? Will you in matters thus momentous, headlong rush where angels dare not tread, seeking only mere animal indulgence? While my cherubim shrink from assuming responsibilities thus momentous yet, how many parents tread this holy ground completely unprepared, and almost as thoughtlessly and ignorantly as brutes entailing even loathsome diseases and sensual propensities upon the fruit of their own bodies, whereas they are bound, by obligations the most imperious to bestow on them a good physical organization, along with a pure, moral, and strong intellectual constitution, or else not to become parents especially since it is easier to generate human angels than devils incarnate. 7. Hereditary Descent. This great law of things, hereditary descent, fully proves and illustrates in any required number and variety or cases, showing that progeny inherits the constitutional natures and characters, mental and physical, of parents, including predispositions to consumption, insanity, all sorts of disease, etc. as well as longevity, strength, Stature, looks, disposition, talents, all that is constitutional. From what other source do or can they come? Indeed, who can doubt a truth as palpable as that children inherit some, and if some, therefore all, the physical and mental nature and constitutor of parents, thus becoming almost their facsimiles? 8. Illustrations. A whaleman was severely hurt by a harpooned and desperate whale turning upon the small boat, and, by his monstrous jaws, smashing it to pieces, one of which, striking him in his right side, crippled him for life, When sufficiently recovered, he married, according to previous engagement, and his daughter, born in due time, and closely resembling him in looks, constitution and character, has a weak and sore place corresponding in location with that of the injury of her father, tubercles have been found in the lungs of infants at birth, born of consumptive parents, a proof, clear and demonstrative, that children inherit the several states of parental physiology existing at the time they receive their physiological constitution, the same is true of the transmission of those diseases consequent on the violation of the law of chastity, and the same conclusion established thereby. 9. Parents' participation, each parent furnishing an indispensable portion of the materials of life, and somehow or other, contributes parentally to the formation of the constitutional character of their joint product, appears far more reasonable, than to ascribe, as many do, the whole to either some to paternity, others to maternity, still this decision go which way it may, does not affect the great fact that children inherit both the physiology and the mentality existing in parents at the time they receive being and constitution. 10. Illegitimate zoar so bastards also furnished strong proof of the correctness of this our leading doctrine. They are generally lively, sprightly, witty, frolicsome, knowing, quiet of perception, apt to learn, full of passion, quick-tempered, impulsive throughout, hasty, indiscreet, given to excesses, yet abound in good feeling and are well calculated to enjoy life. Though in general sadly deficient in some essential moral elements. Eleven character of illegitimates, wherein, then, consists this difference, first, in, novelty lending and enchantment, rarely experienced in sated wedlock, as well as in power of passion sufficient to break through all restraint, external and internal, and hence their high rod organization, they are usually wary and on the alert, and their parents drank, stolen waters, they are commonly wanting in moral balance, or else delinquent in some important moral aspect nor would they have ever been born unless this had been the case, for the time being at least with their parents, behold in these, and many other respects easily cited, how striking the coincidence between their characters on the one hand, and, on the other, those parental conditions necessarily attendant on their origin, 12, children's condition depends upon parents condition at the time of the sexual embrace, let parents recall, as nearly as may be their circumstances and states of body and mind at this period, and place them by the side of the physical and mental constitutions of their children, and then say whether this law is not a great practical truth, and if so, its importance is as the happiness and misery it is capable of affecting, the application of this mighty engine of good or evil to mankind, to the promotion of human advancement, is the great question which should profoundly interest all parents. 13. The vital period. The physical condition of parents at the vital period of transmission of life should be a perfect condition of health in both body and mind, and a vigorous condition of all the animal organs and functions. 14. Muscular preparation. Especially should parents cultivate their muscular system preparatory to the perfection of this function, and of their children, because, to impart strength and stamina to offspring they must of necessity both possess a good muscular organization and also bring it into vigorous requisition at this period. For this reason, if for no other, let those of sedentary habits cultivate muscular energy preparatory to this time of need. 15. The seed. So exceedingly delicate are the seeds of life, that, unless planted in a place of perfect security, they must all be destroyed and our race itself extinguished. And what place is as secure as that chosen, where they can be reached only with the utmost difficulty? and then only as the peril of even life itself, imperfect seed some in poor ground means a sickly harvest, 16, healthy people most children, the most healthy classes have the most numerous families, but that, as luxury enervates society, it diminishes the population, by enfeebling parents, nature preferring none rather than those too weakly to live and be happy, and thereby rendering that union and fruitful which is too feeble to produce offspring sufficiently strong to enjoy life, Debility and disease often cause barrenness. Nature seems to rebel against sickly offspring. 17. Why children die? Inquire whether one or both the parents of those numerous children that die around us have not weak lungs, or a debilitated stomach, or a diseased liver, or feeble muscles, or else use them but little, or disordered nerves, or some other debility or form of disease. The prevalence of summer complaints, colic, cholera, and phantom and other affections of these vital organs of children is truly alarming, sweeping them into their graves by the million, shall other animals rear nearly all their young, and shall man, constitutionally by far the strongest of them all, lose half or more of his, is this the order of nature, Mumber but they,